Good morning, Brookside. It's good to see all of you. I hope that uh, hope you're having a good weekend. Um, I know that we say that a lot. It's good to see all of you, but um, you know, particularly this week, I, I was thinking, uh, boy, it's going to be good to get to get together again as a body um, and uh, worship together and just be together as a family. So um, it's really it is good to, to to be together this morning. If you're a guest here with us today, I want to say just a special welcome to you. Uh, we're really glad that you're able to come and to to join us here today. And I want you to know that if you want more information on anything going on in the church, we've got a lot of programs that happen throughout the week. Um, you can find out more information about everything upstairs in our upper lobby, and uh, they'll be able to help you and, and uh, get you all acquainted with what goes on at Brookside in a, in a given week. So uh, I also wanted just to say a few things uh, related to last weekend and, and the news uh, that we talked about regarding the passing of Steve and Becky's son, Greg. Uh, first, I just want you to know how much um, the people of this church have meant to um, both Steve and Becky. Um, your um, prayers and your support for them has meant so much to them as they've begun the, the grieving process with the loss of their son. Greg's funeral was on Wednesday, and uh, it, was, um, it was a powerful service. I don't know how else to say it. Um, it was a powerful service, and the hand of God was evidently on the life of Greg. Um, this young man, I tell you what, I left inspired, thinking, wow, I, wow that, that guy was living for God, and, um, and he had an impact with his life. And uh, I want you to know, some of you have asked about this. Um, that funeral, um, that service, the recording of that will be on our website, we hope, by Wednesday. And so if you'd like to listen to that, um, you're, sure, you're sure welcome to do that. Last weekend, we talked a lot about um, the, times when, the times when the church is at its best. Um, and, and we talked about how the church is really at its best when the, the gospel is going forth. We talked about how the church is at its best when the message of Jesus Christ is being, made, being very, made very clear to people, when they're accepting Christ and when God's moving in the hearts of people. We talked about how the church is at its best when there's a sense of hope. When people are coming to know Christ and, and uh, they're gathering together, they're praising his name. We, we talked about how the, the church is it's really at its best when we're opening up the word together. And then we talked about how the church is at its best. And we looked at Romans chapter 12 and we said the church is at its best when we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And this past week, uh, I just want to say this, Brookside, you have been at your best. Uh, the support for Steve and Becky has been so evident. It, it, it's one of those weeks when you just go, wow, I, 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 I can see the love of God just being lived out through the support of people. And I mean, it's, it's just so undeniably evident. It's one of those weeks when, for me, I just thought, I am so proud to be a part of this church. Um, on behalf of Steve and Becky, they want to just say thank you um, for your prayers and for your support for them. These are some words that they, they wrote to you. It said, our church family has overwhelmed us with kindness, prayer, and support. We are experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ's presence always, and it has often been through all of you. We covet your ongoing prayer as we face a future with an immense hole in our hearts. We know that when we step back into Brookside, your arms and love will be the warm welcome we have come to know. With all our love and our gratitude, Steve, Becky, and Nikki. We also want you to know that there'll be a, we'll have a, a reception for Steve and Becky on Saturday, September 24th, and we'll have all the information um, for that next Sunday for you. 
I thought it would be appropriate before we go any further just to take a kind of a pause in our service and, and just to pray for Steve and Becky and their family and, um, and then for us to turn our attention toward God and say, Lord, this morning, would you teach us through, uh, would you, teach us through your word? So, so will you pray with me and, and uh, we'll go from there. Lord, we just want to say thank you for the church today. I'm so grateful for the church. Um, Lord, you, I think, have a huge calling on the local church, and, and it's evident that, that this group of people that make up this local church are, are grabbing a hold of that calling. And Lord, today we lift up Steve and Becky to you and their daughter, Nikki. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would continue to sense the love of God. I pray that they would see, even today, a demonstration of the Spirit's power in their lives. And so, Lord, right now we pray for them. Would you take a minute just on your own, and let's just do this as a, as a church body. Would you pray on your own for Steve and Becky? And, and then last week, you know, we also mentioned there's others of you that are going through immense um, uh, trials in, in your own life, or you know someone who is, and would you just pray for them as well right now? So just take a minute, and uh, let's just lift these people to the Lord. Go ahead. And then as we open up the word this morning, I think of Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, meaning the word of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It says it revives the soul, it brings life to the soul, it brings healing to the soul. And so would you pray for yourself now? Would you say, Lord, would you have a specific word for me? Lord, would you revive my soul? Would you challenge me? Would you inspire me, Lord? Maybe just have that kind of a conversation with him now. Invite him into your life. So, Lord, that's our prayer. We love you, we trust you, and we know that you're faithful and real. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 10 years ago today, um, right around this time of day, um, an event event unfolded um, on a beautiful Tuesday morning. um, And it was an event that uh, was so significant. Not only do we remember where we were, but we also, don't we, in this true, we also remember what we felt. We remember what we feared. We remember wondering what was going to be next. What would happen next? It was an event that that changed life as normal. Ten years ago today, it was one of those days when you look back on things, and and, and that day you looked at things maybe a little bit differently. It was a day when when parents called their grown children just to say hi. It was a day when the important things of life all of a sudden got brought right to the forefront It was one of those days when it wasn't hard to get good clarity on what your priorities should be. It was one of those days when when parents gave their young kids an extra hug. It was a day when the busiest people, the, the people that are just always running really fast, it was a day when they slowed down and they really thought hard about those that they loved. It was one of those days that was marked with openness for many people. Church attendance was up. Why? Because there was an openness to spiritual things. But if there's just one word that described how that day and, and really how the days that would, that would proceed to follow, how those days felt, one word to sum that up, it's, it's this word. It's the word uncertainty. I was listening to a, a, a radio interview yesterday and, and um, as I was driving and there was this guy talking about and he was in the air during 9-11 and, and uh, he was recounting how the, quickly, the plane quickly landed and he said then there were squat, SWAT cars that just surrounded, you know, the police surrounded the plane and, and he said there was so much uncertainty. You just didn't know what was going to happen next. But there, wasn't there uncertainty on all fronts? I mean, people wondered, 
Will there be more? Is this really over? Those who lost loved ones thought this. How will we ever go on? Parents thought this. They wondered. There was uncertainty. Are are my children going to be safe? Will our economy be crippled? As the days went on, people wondered, will I have a job? People in the military wondered, will war affect me? How is this going to affect my family? Will we ever see this end? Young people wondered, will I be able to pursue those aspirations that I've been longing to? There was a certain uncertainty about things that that were once so reliable, uh, so predictable. And and while it was hard to believe at the time, out of a tragedy like that, out of a time of of suffering came great reminders, right? I mean, there were reminders from 9-11 in the days that would follow, reminders of the type that you just go, ah, that's a life lesson I don't want to forget. I don't want to, I don't want to lose that one. Things were different. Post 9-11, many people saw the world differently. They viewed themselves differently. Students in schools across the nation said the, the Pledge of Allegiance with a lot more meaning. Ooh, we looked at people in our military and, and those that were serving in, in public service with even more gratitude and more honor. Uh, there was a renewed sense of living for what really mattered, a, a renewed desire to, to live intentionally, uh, to live for something that, that really was of purpose. And, and while the reality of living in the, the realm of uncertainty was I would say unsettling at best. In many ways, it it took us, and even today, it really, it takes us to a good place. Post 9-11, some of the truths of scriptures really came to life. Truths that aren't necessarily anything new. Truths that you just don't go, wow, I've never heard that before. But truths that if, 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 if we remember them, and if we apply them to our lives, they're profound. Because isn't it true, uncertainty has a healthy way of driving us to this reality. It's the reality that our days are numbered. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that, that when you live in that reality, in that reality that says, you know what, I might not have another year. I might not have 20 years ahead. I might not have another month. Have you ever noticed that when you live in that reality, you live differently? When you live with that conscious fact that your days are numbered, it greatly impacts, doesn't it? It greatly impacts how you live. The bottom line for this morning, and you might want to jot this down, and it's really in the form of a prayer. And, and I want us to, to, to walk away this morning and to be able just to think this line and to think this prayer and to ask the Lord about this all week. And we'll unpack it as we go, but, but I want to give it to you early. Here it is. If you're taking notes, jot this down. I want us to leave here today with this request to God in our minds. Here it is. Lord, since my days are numbered, would you teach me how to really live? Oh, Lord, since my days are numbered, would you teach me how to really live? Let's go to the scriptures. And I, I want us to see that this reality of our days being numbered is it's very apparent in God's word. And, and then I want us to consider this question. What does it look like to really live? Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, Look at those first words. They're really important. Notice that it doesn't say, tell us our days are really numbered. It's not like, hey, just tell me that. I just need that fact. It's a one-time deal. Just tell me that. Tell me my days are numbered. No, it's not that. And and it's also not, hey, remind me. Hey, give me a reminder. Hey, drop me a hint. My days are numbered. No, it's different than that. It's this idea. It's alluding to a a continual process. It's, it's teach me. It's, it's continually remind me. It's, it's something I need to learn 
and then I'll forget it. And then I need to relearn it. It's just like a skill I need to continue to hone. Later today, lots of professional football players will take the field. Now, these are the pros, right? These are the best of the best. And they'll take the field. But notice, what do they do all week long? I mean, these guys have been playing ball for a long time. All week long, they're getting coached and coached and coached. Why? They're honing their skill. They're, they're, they want to be taught. The psalmist saying, is saying, teach us. The psalmist is saying, Lord, teach us to number our days. Why? Why teach us? Look at the second part of that verse. Teach us to number our days aright. Why? That we might gain a heart of wisdom. That, that we would know how to live, that, that we would um, live in the reality that our days are numbered. And when we do, we know that we would do things differently. I mean, there would be things, right, that, that maybe matter to us now. Maybe they're on the to-do list even for today. But if we knew our days were numbered and if we were wrestling with that, maybe they would go away. There are relationships that maybe we would say, wow, I kind of forgot about that one. Boy, I remember when 9-11 hit, you know what, I was all about that. But I kind of stopped and forgot, I lost sight of this fact. Uh, maybe our aim in life might even change. Look with me at Psalm 103, verse 15 and 16. It says, as for, men, as for man, his days are like grass. Anybody in here like to mow their lawn? Anybody? I love to mow my lawn. I just like to, yeah. When Christina mows the lawn for me, I come home and I'm like, why did you mow the lawn? You know? And uh, that's kind of weird. We should have a lawnmower party, all of us. All right. So, but here's, here's the thing. Isn't it true? After you mow the lawn, you look at it and you're like, I love the lawn. It looks good. You got the lines are straight. It looks really nice. But isn't it true? You drive home about two days later, you know, come home from work and you look at the lawn. Just two days. And it's like, it doesn't even look like it's been mowed. It doesn't look good anymore. You got to do it again. As for man, his days are like grass. He, He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Know this, there is a a theme in the scriptures. It's that the brevity of life is apparent. And when we embrace that as a life lesson, it changes how we live. And so we say this morning, Lord, since our days are numbered, would you teach us? Would you teach us how to really live? Psalm 34, verse 39, verse 4 says, Show me, O Lord. My life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. And notice those first words. It's, he says, show me, O Lord, my life's end. The, the writer wants to live in this reality. Time is limited. Time is limited. Life is fleeting. It, it flies by. Do you ever have those moments when the presence of God is just so real to you that it, it makes you kind of nervous it kind of weirds you out a little bit you ever had that happen when you're like whoa god is undeniable um this week as i was preparing for this message i i put in my notes this very psalm psalm 94 uh psalm 39 verse 4 and right at that time i looked at my phone and i had three messages on my phone and um they were all from my uh from twitter and there's you know the twitter is a you know you can follow people that you're interested in knowing what they're thinking basically and then they write little tidbits and they show up on your phone or your computer that's all there is to it. And so I, I, I looked at that and I, I thought, okay, the, the first two guys, there was the first two messages from the same guy. And I thought, I don't have time to read that. And, and it probably wouldn't be helpful to me in this time crunch. And then I looked at the third one and I thought, you know what? That guy, he sends so many messages. It was John Piper. He says really good things, but he says so much stuff. And I, I haven't been looking at any of his either. But I just had this feeling in my mind. And it just was like this. Hey, it might just be helpful. You should check it out. And so I, I clicked on his message and, and here's, here's what it said. The old know it, the young need it. 
Psalm 39, verse 4. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. And I looked at my cursor, and what's it blinking on? Psalm 39, verse 4. And I just thought, (laughs) you know, one of those feelings where you're just like, wow, undeniable. Now, I share that for a couple of reasons. This is sort of a tangent. I share that for a couple of reasons. One, I think we need to we need to acknowledge God is alive and well, right? Yeah, I mean, he's alive and well and he's active. And when he speaks, we need to hear his voice and, and we need to ask for that and press into that. But I also share for this reason, I think there are times, and here's what I sense as I'm sitting there, there are times when the Lord says, amen to that thought, amen to that verse, make that one known. And that's kind of what I was sensing at that time that, you know what, maybe there's, there's something here, Lord, that you just, you so desperately don't want your church to miss this morning. Here it is, Psalm 39. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. The number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Don't miss this. The psalmist's words, he, he, he wants people to know, and he, he, he's living in this reality. Lord, Lord, don't let me go another day without recognizing how fleeting my life is. Don't let me forget. Lord, don't let me take things for granted. Lord, don't let me miss that conversation. Lord, might I not be the, the one that just kind of ignores your promptings, maybe to make the call or to, to do whatever. Lord, help me to not do that. Lord, help me to live in the reality that life is short. You know, you might be here today and you'd say, well, I'm a teenager, I'm a young person, and it sounds like a great message for people that are older and uh, people that are uh, a little closer to the grave, you know, <laughs> what I'm talking about? And uh, let me just say to you, let me just say to you really, really as clearly and as gently as I can, all of our days are numbered. Uh, nobody, gets, nobody gets like a, a pass on this one. Just think about this, teenagers. Think about this for a second. What would you do if you only had like two months to live? Uh, what would it change for you? All of our days are numbered. So every one of us say this this morning. We say, Lord, since our days are numbered, would you teach us how to really live? A very logical next question is this. What does it mean to really live? I mean, how should this reality of my days being numbered, how does it practically play out in the days that I have? I came across a a book called One Month to Live about a year ago. It's written by a guy guy named Kerry Shook. And um, he's an author and he's a pastor. And he made this observation as he's meeting with different people over the years in ministry. And he made an observation that people that are at the end of their life or people that have been given a diagnosis that their days are very numbered, he noticed that very quickly they begin to live differently. There's something about this reality that when they know they just got a month left or two months left, they do things completely differently. And he started to ask himself the question, why doesn't everyone just live as though they have one month to live? He wrote this in his book. He said, if you knew you had just one month to live, you would look at everything from a different perspective. Many of the things that you do now that seem so important would immediately become meaningless. You would have total clarity about what matters most, and you wouldn't hesitate to be spontaneous and risk your heart. You wouldn't wait until tomorrow to do what you need to do today. The way you lived that month would be the way you'd wished you'd lived your whole life. I think he's right. In the scriptures, there's a man that he conducted this life experiment. His name was King Solomon. And and what King Solomon did was he took some time and and he wanted to find out what is worth my time in life. I mean, what should I give my life to? What should shape my priorities? What should get my attention? 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we get an inside look at this. And he wrote this. He said, and imagine that. I mean, this is a guy that had the um, capability to do a, a big life experiment like this. He said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with all wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Now, now, King Solomon, he knew there's there's only a few days. And so he's living in this reality that life is short. And so he's asking a very good question. What should I live for? Ecclesiastes chapter two. Let me just read to you some of the things that he 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 tried. It says, I, he, he says, I, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I had great, I made great gardens and parks and planted all sorts of fruit trees. I made reservoirs of water, um, in, in the, to, you know, to, to, to give water to the, the groves of flourishing trees. Verse seven, I, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of the treasure of kings and province. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all my in this, all my wisdom stayed with me. And then, verse ten, he's starting to conclude, and he says, "I denied myself nothing my eyes desired." Imagine that. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then Solomon, what he does is he gets to the end of the book and he concludes, he he concludes this big life experiment. The very last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, verse chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He says, here it is. Well, you want to know what, what, what's worth your time? He, he wasn't saying, hey, work is bad and some of your stuff. That, that's not, he, wasn't even, he wasn't bagging on that even. But he was saying, you know what, what, what's really worthwhile? Fear God. Fear God. Live for God. Many of you came to know Christ as, um, as young adults. And so you spent a good chunk of your life um, walking in a way that, that wasn't in the ways of God. I personally, I can relate to that. And so you would say, like me, you would say, you know what it means to live for God and you know what it means to not live for God. And you would even say, many of you, that there was a point when you came to know Christ, it was almost like you started over. It was like when you came to know Christ, it was like a new life for you. You would say, that's when you really started living. Back to this question. What does it mean to really live? Oftentimes out of tragedy comes inspiration. I think of a guy like Stephen Siller. On the morning of September 11th, Stephen, a firefighter from Brooklyn, he had just finished his shift and and he, was, he, he had heard on the radio that the World Trade Center was under attack. And he turns his pickup around. He starts heading back to ground zero. And, and as you can imagine, he found traffic in a standstill. And so he gets out of his pickup, puts on all of his gear, and he began to, to run down that 1.7-mile tunnel leading into Manhattan. And that day, after making his way finally to the South Tower, Stephen, a father of five kids, he died with the other 343 firefighters. I mean, think about this for a second. Their stories in those moments, they're inspiring. 
Or do you remember this guy, Todd Beamer? Uh, he's a devout Christ follower. He was on Flight 93, the flight that was likely the, the, going to target the, the capital. And after a conversation, like a 13-minute conversation he has with this phone operator, she says he puts the phone down, but it was still connected. And so she overheard him say, are you guys ready? Let's roll. And that plane didn't hit its target. You talk about uncertainty, though. You talk about risk. You talk about an inspiring moment of really living. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, we find a story that I think gives us insight into what it means to really live. It's a story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And in this story, we see, and, and, and you know this to be true, when you're really living, right? I mean, you know this to be true. When you're really living, isn't it true you're taking some risks Isn't it true like when life is kind of on edge and it's exciting when you feel like, wow, you're really connecting with the Lord and walking in his ways? Isn't that usually right paralleled right along with risk? It's a level of trust where God is guiding us. God, if you don't come through, we're we're in trouble. I might look stupid on this one if you don't come through, Lord. And that's okay. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. The context of this is Israel is at war with the Philistines. And they're outnumbered. Now imagine that. Life and death situation. And the Philistines find, or the, the Israelites find themselves in a place where they're outnumbered. And as you can imagine, if, if I were in battle and the other side had more people, I would be scared and they're very scared. First Samuel chapter 13 verse 6 says, When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed, it says that they hid in the cave, get this, they hid in the caves in the thickets among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. And while their troops were literally hiding, Jonathan, I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, they had good reason to hide. But there was something inside of Jonathan that was welling up in him. Something that was saying, you know, this isn't right. God is on our side. We should win this battle. There was something welling up inside of him where he said, I'm tired of sitting here. I'm tired of sitting here and waiting in safety. And so he said to his armor bearer, and he just told it to him. And I think he only told it to him because if he told it to anyone else, they would have said, no way, tie that guy up. Chapter 14, verse 6, he says to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Here's what he's doing. Jonathan is picking a fight. Jonathan is saying, you know what, I'm going to step out. I'm going to risk it a little bit here. He says this. Verse six, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Now, I don't know about you, but perhaps isn't very comforting, is it? That's kind of like fourth and really long. Like we might be able to do it. Maybe, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Now, know this, that armor bearer, he didn't have... He didn't have a weapon. Jonathan had the weapon. Think about the courage he had. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and, and, and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Imagine that. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. 
The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, and this armor bearer knows, I carry the sword now, but I won't in a few moments. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me, and the Lord, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up. Imagine this moment of risk. He steps right into it. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half of an acre. Now in this moment, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they really lived, right? I mean, they entered in. He looked around and he said, we're not sitting here any longer. We're stepping into risk. God is on our side. Why shouldn't we move forward? I'm tired of waiting. And here's where I think this comes back to you. And this is where it comes back to me. Jonathan was willing to put it on the line. Why? It was because he trusted in God. What does it mean for you and I to really live? It means that we take some risks. It means that we move into the unknown, that we trust God, that we rely on him. Just a personal question for you. What is the thing that God has prompted you to do in the past that you've kind of pushed to the side because you're, you're fearful? I could think of mine like that. I mean, in no time that comes to my mind. What is that thing for you? Is it a conversation? What, what is it? Would we trust God enough that we would take the hill? About a year after the 9-11 attack, I heard Erwin McManus, a pastor from down in L.A., and he was talking about this conversation that he had had with his, his daughter the night of the attack. And I'll never forget the words that he spoke. He said, after being gone all day long, I got home and I, I sat down with a, my young daughter and, and she said, Dad, can you tell me things are going to be okay? I mean, imagine a little girl sitting before her, Dad. Dad, tell me things are going to be okay. Dad, can you tell me when I go to school tomorrow, things will be safe for us? And he thought, oh, I so wish I could say, yes, yes, that's right. Things will be different tomorrow. You know, things are going to be fine. But he knew that he couldn't say that to her. And I'll never forget these words. He said, Mariah, you can't control when you die and you can't control how you die. But Mariah, you can control how you live. You know, this morning, as we honor those whose lives were lost in 9-11, I mean, we're reminded, aren't we? We can't not be. Our days are numbered. And this week, my challenge to us is that we would pray this prayer to God. Lord, since my days are numbered, would you teach me to really live? Lord, would you help me to embrace risk? Lord, would you help me to be sensitive to your voice? Would you teach me to really live? You know, we talked this morning a lot, a lot about how uncertain our world is, how uncertain our times are. I mean, there's no debate about that. Nobody's pushing back on that. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. That being true, I, I just want to say to you this morning, if, if you're here today and you would say, I am uncertain about eternity for myself. You would say, I don't have 100% clarity on where I will go after I die. Just be honest with yourself. If you're not completely certain about that this morning, I would just say to you, September 11th, a day where we, we mourn the losses of a lot of people, I would just say to you, would you let September 11th of this year be a day of life for you? Because you can be certain. 
John chapter 17, verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is found in, in what? It's found in knowing Jesus Christ. Hear this this morning. If you don't have clarity on this, hear this this morning. Your heavenly Father loved you so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and He said this, I'll send my Son, Jesus Christ, because you know what, people? You're sinners, like me, I get sin, I live in that. And I understand, okay, I can't approach a holy God. I, I don't deserve his presence. I can't, I can't be in his presence, I understand that. And so it makes sense to me that, Jesus, or that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, so that I might have life, so that I might have hope. And that if I would put my faith in him, that gets me in relationship with God. Here's a simple way to understand it. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus died so that we could know him. John chapter three, whoever believes in him shall not perish. Meaning after you die, you don't die. You live with God, but he will have an everlasting life. This is for sure. I think we would miss it this morning if we didn't point that out. And if we didn't say, you know what? If in an uncertain world, if you're uncertain about eternity for yourself, you don't need to be. You really don't need to be. Because your heavenly father very clearly sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could know him, so that you could walk with him, so that like so many in this room, you could say, my life's been changed. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And, um, you know, I want us to think, I, I'm going to kind of do two sets of prayer because really there's two groups of people here this morning. There's one group where you would say, you know what, I know God, I know Jesus Christ. And our prayer this morning is this, Lord, teach us to number our days aright. Lord, Lord, help us to, to be the kind of people that our, our days are numbered. We understand our days are numbered. And then, Lord, would you teach us how to really live? And then for the second group, if you'd say, I don't know Christ this morning, I'll lead you through a prayer. And I'll tell you what, September 11th of this year can be a day of life for you. You can embrace him. This can be a, a spiritual, spiritual birth for you today. So let's do this. Let's, let's close and uh, let's pray together. Lord, this morning, um, for those of us that know you, we just want to pray very simply, Lord, would you help us to number our days? And Lord, would you teach us how to really live? God, would you um, bring to mind and the next hours even, um, what are the priorities maybe that are out of line? What are the people maybe that you want us to be pressing into? God, what is it that, that you want to teach us when we realize our, na- our days are, are truly numbered? And then if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I just, I just plead with you. Um, today, would you, would you think about the cross and, and would, you, would you contemplate, would you realize even that God loved you enough that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, so that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. And that happens when you, when you call out to God and you acknowledge, hey, I put my faith in you, I trust you. I say, Lord, you're the leader of my life now. And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say a prayer. And if these words fit with what's in your heart, then you can say them after me or you can say this in your own way to God on, on your own. And let me just say to you, you know, I think Satan would want to say to you right now, you know, why don't you just tune out for a little bit? But let me just say to you, um, your heavenly father loved you enough that you're here today. I mean, you're sitting, he knows right where you are in this room and he's got you here. And um, 
would you surrender to him today? So maybe you say this to him, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. I want to know for sure that I will spend eternity with you. And so today I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I desire to live for you. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? I put my faith in what you have done for me on the cross through Jesus Christ. And you know, I want you to do this because this will be meaningful for you. If you just prayed that prayer, this will be meaningful to you in about a week or about a month when things are getting a little bit challenging for you. I want you to do this. I'm gonna ask you, I just want, I just want to make eye contact with you. I want you to slip your hand there because here's what I wanna do. I just wanna pray for you because you're, you're new in Christ. And I wanna pray if you'd say, hey, that's me. I want you to right now even just put your hand up in there make eye contact with me and say, you know what? I just did that. I just prayed that prayer. I just began a relationship with Christ. And you know what? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would lead you and guide you. So do that right now. Just put your hand up in the air. And if Satan's saying to you, hey, don't do that, you just say, you know what? I need Christ. I've tried it my way. It's not working. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lord, um, I thank you for new life in Christ. Lord, I thank you for what you do in the lives of people. And Lord, I just pray Um, for anyone that's accepted Christ here today. I pray, Lord, that you would protect those seeds of faith. And Lord, for the rest of us, we just want to press into you and we want to say, Lord, would you teach us what it means to really live? We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we pray in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Awesome. Emily's got some announcements for us.